This is the show that brings to the forefront newsmakers, entertainers, and those making a difference in our lives and in our world. Each week is a new adventure with topics ranging from the most serious and cutting edge to the most lighthearted and entertaining. This is Taking Care of Business with Richard Solomon. Greetings, everyone. Richard Solomon, Antonio Seant. We got another really cool week. This week, we're talking on Rocket Green Radio, a co-production with uh, Taking Care of Business, with Christina Matheson. And we know what we're talking about? Solar energy. Yeah, solar energy. Our, our misunderstood friend, as they say. So, uh, Christina, if you, if you want to find out about her, the first thing you're going to do is either on your phone, your iPad, your tablet, or your, your computer, go to leapedu.com. And we'll find out more. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you welcome. so much for having me. All right. So so you're like the solar energy guru, right? <laughs> well, I like to think that I know my stuff, yeah. Okay, this show's about shameless promotion. Let me ask that again. <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, so let, solar energy has been around for so long, and yet it never seems to get the, the launch into space that it needs to get why can't it just get to that next level? Why is it not more widespread? Why do we only see it like in places like parking lots in Suffolk County, right. government buildings, and a couple of homes here and there? Why Why isn't it more ubiquitous? I think that when you look at it, right, you have your early adopters that heard about it, thought it was really great, and at the at that time, let's say maybe ten or even fifteen years ago. The price was really prohibitive. There weren't a lot of incentives. Um, the largest reason people go solar, honestly, is because their neighbor did it. So I think the lack of knowledge, the lack of education, the lack of understanding, um, it makes it prohib- <clears throat> prohibitive. People think that it's really expensive and out of their range. Um, similar to organic bananas, right? You can have a banana or an organic banana. So one of the reasons that people don't do it is because they simply don't understand. And as you know, if if someone has a belief or a perception that's on the negative side, that's way more prevalent in society than a, a good opinion. People that get solar don't so much talk about it. They just know that they have a, a very little utility bill, if any, and they go on their merry way. So I don't know that, that solar people are necessarily bragging you know, or, or yelling from the rooftops about it. Is is there also just an absence of marketing? I, I I rarely see any public service announcements about solar. I rarely see any businesses advertising solar. I well, I, I don't see much about energy credits and conservation and I, I mean, mean I just from don't from the utilities from anywhere from any source. I mean, you know, in my day to day existence of just going about from place to place and listening to the radio and the car right. and watching TV and listening to you know, the news. It's not talked about. It's just it's not, not it's not part of the conversation. The yeah. price of tomatoes is, you know, how right. much a flat screen TV is or, right. you know, the weekly specials or what team you know is what? winning. I, I, what? I find, I do a lot of speaking, I do a lot of teaching and I find that wherever I go, people are saying they're calling me on the phone, they're knocking on my door. Um, I don't know if they're, why they're, it's not being done on a larger scale. However, what I can tell you is the solar installation market and the solar financing market are highly competitive. The solar industry has one of the highest, if not the highest, customer acquisition cost of, of most industries. For example, a solar company may pay 17% of their their project for customer acquisition, whereas the next highest industry is the auto industry that only pays, which you see ads for, for cars all the time, they're only paying 4% of the cost of their product to promote it and to acquire customers. So you may not see billboards, you may not necessarily see, you know, TV ads, but they're there. Um, I think that solar has just become such a crowded field and what we've seen in the recent future is that field is is certainly getting smaller because companies try to do it and they don't succeed it's just a you know it's a a tough industry to be in unless you have really happy customers that are gonna refer you and lots do 
and unless you've been in business for a long time and have a solid foundation. So there's plenty but, of marketing. It yeah. just may not be the most effective form. But you know what? A lot of times, and, I, and I'm just going to throw this out there because, you know, the, the, the thing about me, I like to spread the message all over the place. Right. You, you know, whether it's solar, clean energy, and all that. And a gentleman, you know, interviewed me for Green Sports. He has a blog. Right. And then he recently wrote an article about the NFL that they're, they've been doing it for years. You know? And I, and I said to him, I wrote him, uh, uh, like a couple of days ago, and I said to him, I was pretty upset. Not because, you know, the Patriots lost. I got upset because the platform of the Super Bowl, and they are huge when it goes to greening sports, huge in green, solar, the, the whole works. Not one word was mentioned in this platform. Not one commercial incorporated that nothing. Right. You, you know, nothing to do with clean energy or solar or nothing. The only commercial was Matt Damon pushing water. Right. You know, to, to the poor people. And, 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 and I was highly upset and I said, well, this is a problem because me in the film industry, I try to push it. And the whole concept is to alert the audience, which is why you're here. Because this platform, we're the voice for you people. And then we open that door and then you say, because I'm hoping that it goes all over the place and it sends a message of awareness. So that's, that's my thing. All right, so let me, let me put on my homeowner hat for a second because I'll put my apartment owner hat next. But I'm, I'm a homeowner. All right, let's say I'm in within anywhere within their antenna. And I call you up and I say, okay, I own a home. What's involved, not necessarily just the money, you know, but what's involved in knowing whether my home is capable of, of being, you know, uh, being a, a solar energy. Utilizing solar power. Right. Is that's one question. How, you know, then it's like, well, how much does it cost? Or what, what, what are the benefits? What are the detriments? Is there anything that I need to know, um, about my, my home? Do I need to like, uh, fix my roof first <laughs> before you okay. put, you know, cause roofs only last so long and you might as well, you know, if you put everything on. So what, what are all the ins and outs? And then the other question I'm going to ask is, all right, I'm an apartment owner. Uh, maybe it's, you know, all of the apartments should band together. We should get some solar panels on the roof because it'll all help us collectively. So I just want to go to the homeowner first. Okay. So I'm a homeowner. So I'm going to sit down with you and say, okay, Christina, what's the good? What's the bad? What's the ugly? What's the hidden? Give, give me the, give me the whole deal. Okay. So, so since I'm an educator and not a solar salesperson, what I'm going to tell you is the universal answer, um, of, of, the basics of, of solar and what makes your house suitable. So the first thing that we do is we gather up the homeowner's annual household usage, which means every month you get an electric bill or every month you get an electric bill, and that is spelled out in the form of kilowatt hours. It's the number of kilowatt hours of energy that that home uses. It's important to note that if there were three houses in a row, the first, each homeowner has a different energy lifestyle, meaning there's two older people that are really conservative. They, you know, they don't watch a lot of TV. They don't turn all the lights on. Their usage is going to be considerably less than the neighbors who have three or four kids that plug everything they own in and leave every light on because we all know that as soon as a child can re reach the light switch, they only turn it on and they don't turn it off. So we can almost tell from a homeowner's usage if they have a lot of kids or a pool or a hot tub. The, all of these things makes your electrical consumption higher. So we gather that. Then we look at a home on Google Earth, so it's a, a satellite image. The most important thing is that you do not live in a very tree-covered area. We do not encourage anybody to chop down all of their trees. Right, so we don't want to. We don't certainly don't want to take all the trees down. However, if you have one tree that's slightly hanging over the roof, we may say, "Will you trim it?" Or some people say, "You know what? 
we're going to just take the tree down. We always, you know, it blocked our sun or it blocked something, so that's fine. So you have to have access to the sun. The sun has to hit the roof and hit more than one small area of the roof. So we have household usage, which tells us how much power your house needs. We have whether your roof is in the shade or in the sun. We have roof space. So lots of times, you know, in my old house, I put skylights in. Now when I look at skylights, since I'm in solar, it's almost like you stole our roof space. That is the most valuable real estate because solar is a revenue-producing asset, meaning that in particularly if you own it, that solar will produce energy for 25 to 40 years, depending on the panel. So you, you have to have a considerable amount of roof space. A house with less usage will need less panels. So roof space we look for. We also look for the orientation of the roof. So that means we want to see which direction your home faces. If your home has a, you know, you, you have two roof planes. So let's just say you have, you know, it's, it's not a, there are not four planes. Let's say there are two, an east and west or a north and south. That's one type of house. Then you have houses that have four roof planes, but sometimes one is the two on the ends are really small, so you can use them and not. The orientation is important because when you have a south-facing roof, the sun is on it more than it's on any other roof plane. So you can put solar on the south side. You can put solar on the east and west side, provided that you do not have a really steep pitch, like a Tudor home has a really steep pitch, and provided that the surrounding buildings, whether they're homes or businesses, are not blocking the sun from getting to that roof plane. We discourage using the north side of the roof. And the reason is that that is the plane that has the, the least solar access. The sun shines on the north side considerably less than it does on any other side of the roof. I always tell people when I speak to them, I'm Italian and my grandfather used to grow tomatoes. And he never would put it on the, them on the north side of the house because they didn't get any sun and they wouldn't grow. And it's just like a solar system. What we need is the sun. Um, then we look at, you know, for, for sizing a system, it, the power of the panel comes into play. We want to be able to have enough solar panels to offset the most of your usage. So I've seen in my career homes that have offset 50% of their usage and homes that have offset up to 110% of their usage, meaning that even the, the little bit of money, so in, in Long Island through PSEG, the, the service charge is 36 cents a day to stay connected. So there are many people that get an electric bill for 11 or $12 a month. That's pretty cool. Um, so we, wow. we look for all of those things. Um, do you want to talk about choosing, you know, how do you choose? How do you, how do you decide, you know, what company, what are you looking for? What do you, what questions are you asking? Well, okay. So the first thing is, let's say I'm suitable mm-hmm. because I have the South exposure and I got enough roof space and it's right. at least feasible that I'm going to use maybe have a 50% offset. So then what is the next thing I need to, what is the next thing I need to know on what to do? Is that so, choosing a company or getting well, or, or something else? Well, you want to choose just like any other home improvement because solar is a construction project. You want to choose a company that's been in business for more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think 10 years is a really good barometer of seeing if a company has gone through the ups and downs of the industry. You want to choose a company that's got an A or A-plus Better Business Bureau rating. So just like any other project, you can you know, look for third-party reviews. Honestly, look on Facebook. You're there anyway. Look up the company and look at the comments and see if those people are happy. Look at the reviews there. Um, there are so many third-party reviewing uh, sites. Or call up the company and say, hey, I'm considering going solar. Can you provide me with three of your customers that I can talk to to learn about their experience? Most most companies will will give you a you know a list or a couple of people that they'll refer to, refer you to, and they'll be happy to call you and tell you about their experience. Um, you want to make sure that there are you know that they're going to tell you 
what's good for you and not not what's good for them, which is why the references are so important. What is so, so you would call these companies, they would do satellite imaging, they would take your usage, they would they can do it from the roof, measure your house. So for a preliminary idea, they'll come and sit with you and explain, you know, how find out how you're planning to pay for it and tell you how much they think um, of your energy that they can offset. So there are lots of algorithms that, yeah. you know, there well, are many, many algorithms that we can tell how much, how much sun will hit that particular spot of your roof for how many hours throughout the course of the year and take into consideration rainy days, sunny days, if there's snow on the panels, all of those different things. And, and most are plus or minus 5%, which is kind of amazing. We have two minutes left in the segment, believe it or not. It's going fast. Uh, what are the maintenance issues for a homeowner? Do you have to get out there and Windex the, the panels? No. no. <laughs> you know, there are solar panels have no moving parts. So there's very little, if any, maintenance that's ever needed. And the panels that are installed now all come with Internet monitoring. So you can, throughout the course of the day, see how your panels are doing. And if on the off chance, it, it's very rare, but on the off chance that there's something odd or something that one panel is producing considerably less than the other, you can see it, you can call the company, and that's why you want to check those references because those companies will come right out, take a look, swap out your panel, um, do everything for you, and, and that's why you have, you know, a local installer is best because they're right there. Okay. All right. So we only have like a minute. So uh, this is Richard Solomon. This is Antonio Sayon. Our very special guest is Christina Matheson. And you can look her up on the internet at leapedu.com. They're the solar energy experts. And we're talking about solar energy. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a number of different issues. Uh, in, in, if you don't own your home, for example, what can apartment people do and things like that? So we'll be right back. Keep it locked in. Lots to come. And for all those people out there who are uh, green-minded, we thank you for listening. We'll be right back. Hi, this is the Great Sordini. You're listening to Richard Solomon on 88.1 FM WCWP. Welcome back, everybody. Richard Solomon, Antonio Sayant, Rocket Green Radio, and Taking Care of Business. This is the show where we really talk about great environmental issues, and we speak to eco-pioneers. One of today's eco-pioneers is Christina Matheson. So, Antonio, before this segment started, there was a question that was pending. Kind of That's how we say in the law. Uh, there was a question right. pending on homeownership and value. And, you know, new right. construction versus existing construction. Why don't you run with that? Yeah, sure. I just want to know, basically, like, uh, you know, obviously when an architect develops, a, you know, a, a home uh, that's already, you know, for solar. But uh, as far as that, the homes that are there now that have been like, you know, 50, 40 years old or whatever, um, does the value of the home change uh, due to the fact that you put solar panels on the roof? It does change. Um, what's really necessary is that the appraisers understand the value of the solar. So Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory has studies that have gone by in a number of different states that do show between, you know, up, up to depending on the size of the system. So there are different usages right. and different sizes, but anywhere from 10 to 15% of the home value can be added when there's solar presence. So if, if it's a, you know, a zero a passive house or a, a net zero home, it certainly adds value. I think the value can be perceived. And there's a woman, uh, an appraiser, that trains other appraisers on green value named Sandra Ottomanis. And Sandra has so much valid information on how to calculate the value, whether it's the value of the energy that it produces or the value of the equipment itself. But, yes, it does increase the value. What we need is more appraisers that have this knowledge and understanding on what the value of that home is. The home does not increase in value, according to the Appraisal Institute of America, if that solar system is owned by a third party, meaning if it's a lease or if it's a power purchase agreement, it's considered personal property, 
as opposed mm-hmm. to an asset. So that's something very important to remember. If you are looking to increase the value of the property, you should own that solar. doesn't mean you have to lay out all the money. You can finance it, but it, that you retain the ownership. Wow. Okay. Okay. Now, does it take away from the look of, of the house? No. Solar Except- panels properly installed um, right. can can have the conduit run, you know, under the the top part of the attic, you know, or right, wherever right. it's convenient that you don't see any wires or cables. And properly installed, the panels are symmetrical. You can even get black panels if you have a black roof. It almost looks like glass on the top of a coffee table. Mm. When it's improperly installed, and that's another reason that you want to make sure that that company has been in business for a long time, they know all the ins and outs and shortcuts, not shortcuts in terms of how to get out of there quick, but how to really install properly and efficiently with a beautiful, you know, beautiful aesthetic to it. Well, one question I have, and I kind of talked about this before, you know, roofs only last for so long before you have to replace them. They, mm-hmm. You know, I think the average span of a roof is somewhere between 20 and 25 years. So, That's correct. So do you need to, like, replace your roof before you put on the solar panels that could potentially last 40 years or, or does the, and, or do the panels themselves protect the roof because now the roof is less weathered or it just, uh, tell me all about that. So the rule of thumb is that once a, you know, a wonderful company comes and gives you a measurement and a proposal, they're going to come and, and send a human up to your roof and they're going to look at it, and they're going to make sure that you don't, you know, the best is to have one layer of roofing. Depends on where you are. Some companies will install on two, but ideally it's one layer of roofing. Um, if you only have maybe five or seven years left on the roof, a recommendation will be made to include the roof in your solar installation. Do the roof and do the solar at the same time. And the reason is exactly what you said, that solar is going to be there for a long time, and it's going to protect that roof. So the thing that ages or erodes a roof is sun and, and rain and ice and all of the weather. When you have that portion of the roof covered with solar, it does a couple of things. It keeps that roof, the integrity intact, right? It doesn't get worn or eroded. The panels are installed usually, let's say, in, in racks, maybe four inches above the roof. That creates airflow underneath them. So nothing bad happens to the roof. Contrarily, that sun that used to beat on your roof and destroy it is now being converted into electricity because it's, it's hitting the solar panels. So when we look at solar panels, they call it an efficiency rate. So now let's say you have a panel that has a 21% efficiency rate. It doesn't sound impressive, but what that means is quite the opposite, is that 20, 21% of the sun that hits that roof is converted into electricity, which is kind of amazing. We're, we're wasting our roof space if we're not collecting the energy, right? Either that or we have yeah. to go to apartment farming, which is another, or roof farming, that was another show that we did. So I'm going to reveal that I actually know a little bit about construction, so I'm going to ask you about roof penetrations. Okay. I, I know that the more penetrations you have into a surface the more it's compromised and the more there's the ability for leaks to be generated. Right. How does that work with solar panels? So solar panels are installed, there's there's flashing that's used. So there are, you know, there are special precautions that are taken that when the roof is penetrated, it is totally surrounded and it, it makes it impossible for any water, any leak, any, anything to happen. And the, the penetrations are done into the structure of the house. So it's sealed, it's done, and that flashing is, is adds additional protection to that home to make sure that you don't get any leaks. So of the couple thousand installations that I've been a part of, mm-hmm. I want to say 99.5% of them don't have a problem. Okay. Well, that's a good statistic. Yeah. Right. So now let's shift gears. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm the head of the condo board, mm-hmm. or I'm a part of a co-op. Right. And uh, president of the co-op. And now I say, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a good, good idea to go solar. So I call you up and I say, is solar right for us as opposed to is solar right for me? Is right. solar right for us? What is the analytical structure on that call? So 
you're looking at a vertical condo or co-op, so your typical New York City building, let's say it's five floors or more, the electrical consumption by all of the residents will probably be greater than the amount of energy you can make on that roof for the simple fact that the footprint of that roof is considerable. It's small. And in New York City, and even in the municipalities on Long Island, there are fire department regulations. So let's say in New York City, you're required to leave, you know, three feet on, on two access areas. So you're looking at a rectangle. One of the short sides and one of the long sides is usually exposed. You need three feet from that. If it's a flat roof that has a hatch, which is the roof access, you need to leave three feet around that. So it leaves very little space, depending on how, you know, the average building. So if you have a really big space, you could probably offset some of the common load, um, meaning the, the electricity for the hallways and the laundry room and the exterior. Uh, it's, a, it's really a case-dependent scenario. And another thing that we've encountered in the past is whenever there's a co-op or a condo, you usually need the majority, if not all of the residents, dependent on the, the bylaws of that, that building association, everybody's got to agree. As in most other things, when does everybody agree? And that has been, as silly as it sounds, that has been something that has been prohibitive to get some of this done. So it's, it's lack of education and understanding, and some people just don't like new things. Now I gotta ask. I gotta ask a wacky question. Do it. Can you put solar panels on the side of a building as opposed to the roof? Well, like we talked about earlier, you have to have access of the sun. You have to have. You know, the sun's got to bake on those. So I've seen solar panels on the side of some buildings that are directly facing south and that are installed properly. But when the sun, you know, when the sun isn't kind of near there, when the, the panels are on the roof at an angle, you do get more days of sunlight, but that's not to say you shouldn't put them on the side of the building. I, I'm positive it's a more difficult installation, but it absolutely can be done. And we see, you know, innovative products that are designed specifically for that. I think the tried and true method is the roof or the ground, um, but it depends how, you know, how the engineering firm that's doing it feels about it and how you're going to look at the functionality and you're going to look at from a financial point of view, what kind of benefit is this going to create for us? How many hours of sun are we going to have? How much space do we have? Um, and, and how is it going to work out financially? If it's a benefit, good, but you still have to have the visionary and you have to buy, have the buy-in of all of the residents if that's included in the bylaws. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. So, what is one of the courses that you teach focus on? Is it is it only real estate professionals or is it homeowners and apartment people and uh, attorneys and title companies? How, who's your target audience for the moment? And what is your audience going to be hopefully expanded to include? Well, right now, the course that I wrote is Solar 101, What Every Real Estate Professional Should Know. Um, it's an, it's a funny story how I came about this. So oh, we love stories. The, we love stories. You love stories. Love I stories. was the, um, VP of marketing for a large solar company. And I, I really fig- I felt that people don't understand this. And simply, this is such a great thing. Why are people not knocking on the door at eight o'clock in the morning when we open up saying, Hey, I'm ready. Let's go put this on my house. So I thought, well, let me do some outreach in the community to real estate professionals and and explain this to them and tell them how it works. What I didn't expect to happen was that they were going to teach me what their challenges were. And when I learned this, I realized that the solar people had never reached out to the real estate people. And we know real estate, what's their biggest thing? They know how to how to work money, how to finance things, what's creative and what works and what doesn't. So the solar people had never really gotten involved with real estate on a large scale, and real estate really hadn't taken too much interest in solar. It just, it's, it's kind of new. And what they taught me were so many challenging things that they had encountered when there was solar on a house. The majority of the solar that's installed in our area is not owned by that homeowner. It's owned by a third party. 
So when you transfer a title of the house, so when you sell the house to someone new, there are a couple things that you have to go through. So you can transfer it, you can buy it out. There is such little understanding for this that what we've seen is that homeowners that have a solar system, so let's say they have a lease from a, a solar company, reputable or not, or whoever, the the agents don't know. And they only find out that there's an, a UCC filing on the property, which is, you know, it's a lien. They but, find this yeah. out, and it, oftentimes it's a mystery to the homeowner, the current homeowner that got involved with this and signed this agreement. But now the agent says, well, what do I do? It appears on title. Usually the buyer already has a loan. They already have approval. They're already pretty far down the line. And what we started to see was that it, it was busting their deals. They couldn't, the, the buyer was like, oh, no, this is a big, a big speed bump. I, you know, maybe I'll find another house. And the real estate professionals are really required by law to disclose every detail of the property. However, no one ever taught them how to do this. So I wrote this course, and I had it approved for continuing ed credits, and I teach it through Leap EDU, who now has Green EDU, focused on solar energy and energy efficiency and getting that education out to real estate professionals. So we include attorneys, um, title companies, mortgage companies, um, the whole gamut, because every single one of those is involved in a, in a, a sales transaction for a home. So it's important that they have that education, not, oh, well, I heard, oh, well, no. I've heard of instances where everything was, was fine, and then at the closing table, the buyer's attorney finds out that there's this lease on the house, so maybe there isn't even a lien. Maybe it's just a lease and it comes up at the last minute. I've heard of several instances where because of the lack of understanding of all of the players, that the seller has been required to leave thirty or forty thousand dollars in escrow until they sort it out. That's completely right. unnecessary. All of these things, once known, can be taken care of in the beginning. Whether the homeowner owns the solar, which is, you know, a lot less of a, of an issue or a challenge, um, but all of these with the the proper training, simple, what to look for, can avoid all of these troubles. So, with the real estate agent. What, what, like if, let's say I'm a real estate agent and you're giving a speech and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna say, what are the risks and the benefits of knowing this information? How would you answer me? I would tell you the risk and the benefit is in not knowing this information. Okay. Because you are required by law. So the National Association of Realtors Code of Ethics specifically states that you must disclose all of this information to the buyer. In many cases, we find that the seller didn't even know it. How would the, yeah. how would the agent know? So wow. it's, it's not a matter of people having a lack of intelligence. It's a matter of them signing digitally, in most cases, a 30-page agreement that they didn't read or they didn't understand. So when we do any kind of a major transaction in our lives, what do we do? We call an attorney. When somebody comes to the door and you buy solar through them, and obviously you're going to save money, right? They show you this is your bill now, this will be your bill after, it sounds great. The devil's in the details. And we don't. We just decide this on ourselves and we say, oh, well, if this guy says whatever it is, I'm going to just sign here. Well, the and other thing sometimes is this. it's not, you know, it, it doesn't end well right now. Solar is not the problem. It's how you're financing it. Well, you know, well, what it really comes down to is a lot of times people enter into transactions and then 20 years later, they don't really think about things that are just sort of just there. Right. Um, or the implications of now, just for the people out there in the minute we have left, a UCC one that stands for Uniform Commercial Code. Mm -hmm. When you borrow money, people want security, collateral. Correct. So what they do is they take a UCC lien on your home and they file it in your county and one in Albany. So that if someone's doing a search on your property, they look for things like debt. And the way to record debt and to get a priority as a creditor 
and not to be a general creditor, but to be a priority creditor is to get a UCC-1. And those things are filed, and they're pretty broad, uh, the UCC-1. They're filed against all your personal property and all the other stuff because the person who loaned you the money wants to make sure they can collect the money. All right, so this is segment two. We're almost done here. We'll be right back. We are with... Antonio Seant and Richard Salmon, Rocket Green Radio with Christina Matheson, leapedu.com. We'll be back because this is really fascinating stuff about solar energy, which hopefully is in all of our futures. Hi, this is Anastasia Zeltos from Athens, Greece, and we listen to Richard Solomon on our computers, and we love it. All right, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for staying with us. This is Richard Solomon, your host of Taking Care of Business with Antonio Seant, uh, the host of Rocket Green Radio. And this is our co-production where we get together and talk about uh, saving the environment and uh, being green and bringing eco-pioneers to the forefront. So today's eco-pioneer is Christina Matheson, leapedu.com. So right now, people are just dying to talk to you. How do they get in touch with you? They can email me at C Matheson, M A T H I E S O N, at getcleanenergyny.com. All right. And then we'll, we'll if, in case you're driving, don't worry about pulling over and writing it down. We'll, we'll, we'll post it on our social media so that you'll have the email access to it. Okay. So, our, our I guess our topic for this, this segment uh, is going to focus a little bit about um, energy efficiency, because that's also something that's sort of, either not understood well enough or overlooked because it's not just a matter of shutting off lights or using appliances in the middle of the night or things like that. Right. So tell us what, what are the secrets to true energy conservation, to true energy savings? True energy savings is just using less. So we can, we can certainly offset plenty of your usage with renewables, but you can still use less before you go solar or after. So for example, one of the biggest consumers in a home is a light bulb. So, so many people have these beautiful, powerful hi-hats in their kitchen. They have architectural lighting. They have, many people have finished basements with the hi-hats in there, and oftentimes they're 100 watts each. If you leave them on or even if you use them, they burn a lot of electricity. There are so many beautiful lighting fixtures, and there are programs, you know, in everybody's municipality that will offer a discount for LED bulbs. They are not like they, they used to be. They used to be ugly. The light wasn't beautiful. You know, plenty of t- people have told me, well, I don't like how it looks. They're beautiful now. You can't tell the difference. However, from a kilowatt perspective, so let's just, let's just call it cups, right? The average light bulb uses a cup of energy. If you switch out to an LED bulb, it may use half an ounce of energy. And although that seems hard to believe, it's true, and when you take into consideration the number of light bulbs you have in your house, most people don't count them. So on average, it's about 20% of our annual electric usage. The next thing is however we heat and cool our property. So you find that in a cooler environment, we have to heat our homes more, and in a warmer environment, we have to cool our homes more. When we save the most are the in the New York area, are the times that we can open the windows and close the windows and we don't need heat and we don't need air conditioning. You see a dip in people's electrical usage then. Mm-hmm. There are things like for a pool, you can get a variable speed pump instead of a, a pump that goes 24 hours a day. You can set those. From air conditioning, after 2006, for a variety of reasons, the average air conditioning unit or system uses so much less, in some cases 50% less energy to operate. Most electric utilities offer programs to, to pay you for the older electric equipment or give you a rebate on the newer one. It, it varies depending on where you are and what your utility is. However, even though you're purchasing new equipment, the savings over time is incredible. So you can take a home from using you know, 10,000 kilowatt hours a year, and in some cases, one at a time um, through a program called, I call Home Evolution, because you're combining solar with real uh, with energy efficiency, 
you can take the cost of operating your home and reduce it drastically. And that's just as important. The less energy we use, the less burden it is on the planet. So for the first time in a very, very long time, the green of the dollar is just as valid as the green of the earth. It used to be more, you know, it costs you money to do this. Um, and it doesn't anymore. So in the state of New York, we have a mandate from the governor's office called Rev 2030, Reforming the Energy Vision, that mandates that utilities incentivize homeowners and apartment, anybody that lives anywhere with light bulbs, to use less power. Depending on, you know, the income levels, there's, there's always discounts and rebates, and everyone should check with their utility to see what kind of incentives they can get for that. Well. All right, so so how would I go about doing either an energy audit um, to, to find out where, in other words, what do I need to do to get that happening? You can go to the website of Con Ed, PSEG, or whatever the, util- the electrical utility is in your area. And even National Grid does electric in some places and does gas in other places. All of them have programs that will do- reduce either the electricity, the gas, you know, whatever it is. Let's also talk about an oil-to-gas conversion, which some people think is a fortune. Oftentimes, through utility programs or state incentives, a good portion of the cost of that can be incentivized, and the savings over time are um, really, really worthwhile. Why is it important to convert from oil to gas? Well, Oil is a very, very dirty fuel, and it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. The challenge that some people have, depending on where they live, is that gas isn't available. The, the framework and the, you know, the underground plumbing is just not there. So it's a dirty fuel. It's more expensive, um, and gas just burns cleaner. It's better, better for everyone involved. Cool. All right. So when, when I buy appliances, washing Energy machines, store. refrigerators, what, what 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 do I need to know as opposed to the finish and how <laughs> right. how how expensive or, or, or thrifty it is? Um, There's a sticker on every appliance right. that gives you an Energy Star rating. Um, Could you say that in a little bit more detail? What does that mean, and how significant is it? And do people really use it? People do really use it. So you'll get there's a sticker on every appliance that tells you what the rating is. You can go to the U.S. Department of Department of Energy's website. They have great energy efficiency options, and they explain it for every appliance. Um, you want to look at those stickers, but before you go shopping, do a little do a little um, web investigation on Energy Star and, and how it can best help you. We want to have the most efficient, and efficient means refrigerator A will cost you four hundred and eighty-two dollars worth of electricity, let's say a year. An Energy Star efficient a uh, refrigerator may cost you $280 a year. You want the one that gives you all that you want but costs the, the least to run, and that's the purpose of Energy Star. To, to what extent are builders, developers uh, looking at these things? Well, the homeowners now and the people that buy new construction homes are looking for the most efficient, the most comfortable you know, one of the things that people don't understand about efficiency, oftentimes it's insulation. So if you, you're insulating the building envelope, the air that you pay to cool on the interior of the home, it's going to stay cool. And the area that you pay to heat, same thing. It's going to stay warm because you're not losing that climate-controlled air because it's seeping out of the cracks. So... When you want to, you know, the, the best thing to do is to go to your utility website and look for an energy audit. I know that in PSEG Long Island Territory and in Con Ed, you can get a, a free energy audit, which means that you don't have to buy anything. They're going to come in. They're going to analyze the nooks and crannies of your home, see how your systems are operating, and they make recommendations. One of the best things you can do is to insulate. They do spray foam insulation sometimes. There are different forms. It makes the home more comfortable. You don't feel cold in the winter when you're sitting there. You don't feel there's no draft. Um, you know, windows are another option. They're, they're not usually incentivized, but there are different loans that you can get for that. Um, every utility has a, a home energy audit program, 
and they recommend certified energy auditors in everybody's area. And that's really one of the first steps that you can take. If you choose to move forward and, you know, get some work done, you, you choose a contractor with experience, but the, the difference is not only it may not be immediate savings in terms of how much it costs you every month, but you will feel completely different inside the house. It, it's it's a, a very warm feeling, and it's also quieter because you've insulated the perimeter of the house. I, I know that there's uh, certain companies out there that blow like like if you have um, like a brick building, say for example, they drill into the wallboard and they blow some kind of insulation into the empty spaces. Yes. Um, I forgot what that's called. Um, and it's, it's spray foam insulation. Right. And, and apparently what it does is it takes all that air and, and really modifies it so that there's less air and there's more insulation. And that can really make a gigantic difference in your home. It makes a huge, huge difference. Um, especially in older buildings when, in you know my my old house when I grew up, there was such little insulation it was almost like there wasn't any. You could feel the wind blowing through, and yeah. sometimes people replaced it. It it was good, but it's not you know it doesn't do what spray foam insulation does. It it's amazing the difference when you go from today you don't have the insulation and tomorrow you do. It's almost like being in a different house. It feels different. It's it's just comfortable. What about windows? You know, when we grew up, there were mighty, mighty thin windows out there, yeah, <laughs> and not well in, and, and 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 not well sealed. Right. What, what well. do we see now? So you see different, you know, different forms of different companies have different products. There are some that you know they will tell you it's not the window is important, and and you want at least double pane windows. You want you know. You want something in between those that's going to be a barrier from the cold to the hot. Different companies offer different products. I think one of the issues that's of concern with windows is, is, for example, if you have a vinyl window, if you live in a place like New York with extreme cold and extreme heat, that vinyl will expand and contract, and it's not necessarily the window but the seal that goes bad because of the, you know, the, the change of the actual material itself. So that's something definitely to investigate. Different companies have different products that they that they use. Sometimes the window is open without you wanting it to be open, and the air is coming in or going out. So that's a, a huge piece of of having that comfort in the home. If there's cold air coming in when you're trying to heat it, obviously you're going to pay more for heat because it's going out the window. What about so, drapes and blinds? Drapes and blinds, it, it depends on, you know, if you have good windows, you don't need such drapes, such such thick drapes and blinds. Different companies make different ones, and you can find out. If, if you have air really blowing through your windows, I would definitely recommend sealing them. So there are different ways to do it. I know if you go to a home improvement store, they have window seals that are almost look like plastic wrap that we use in the kitchen. They seal over the windows, and they'll keep that draft out. Always the best solution is to replace those windows or to recalk them. Um, speak, to, speak to an expert and get a, plenty of ideas and see what's best for you. Right. Um, well, in, in terms of energy efficiency, how do you feel about you know, generators and all those other things that people have uh, for uh, you know, the, the hurricanes and things like that? Or that's just ancillary? I mean, that's ancillary. I think that that's just for emergencies. So if you live in an area where you, you, you have you, a lot of storms or you have problems with sporadic, you know, sporadic um, outages. outages from your utility, that's certainly something to, to consider. If, you, if it's not something that we normally have, that's a personal decision. I mean, if... if it depends on what the homeowner's needs are. When you have a generator, it has to be really big to power the whole house. So you have to, it sounds silly, but you have to have a place that you can, that you can have it live, whether it's in your, it's got to be outside, sure. so it's got to be in yeah. your yard. For some people, it's just not a doable thing. I think that's more for prevention in the case of emergency, um, but it's certainly not something efficient. Gotcha. Unless it's, you know, unless it's a, a solar battery and um, 
I, I think that the, my personal opinion is that batteries right now are good. They're like the iPod. And in a very mm. short time, because some really smart people are working on this, those batteries are going to come down in price and they're going to go up in capacity. So however many years ago we, we got iPods and then we got iPhones and now the, you know, the phones that we have are so powerful and they do so many things. So I think that a battery is a great idea. I just don't know for me personally. I may wait just a little while to get a little bit, a little bit more. That technology is considerably newer than solar technology, which is, you know, it's, it's at least 28 or 30 years old. The same concept. Um, the only difference is that our panels are more, more efficient. However, those original panels are still useful. They're still generating power for the most part. Sure, I heard that Jimmy Carter had, um, when he was president, he had solar panels on top of the uh, White House. So he did, and they, I don't know if they ever yeah. finished them, but I know that maybe 10 years ago, I, I have the data, yeah. uh, President right. Obama put the solar back on the roof, so it's a 10K right. system. That, that is true. Uh, whoever the, who was next president after Carter? Was it Reagan? Um, that's well, whoever, not my expertise. I can well, Google no, it, but I don't well, want to say the wrong thing. Well, whoever, well, whoever the next president removed them. Right. <laughs> oh, like that. But, what, what, one thing that does, one thing I've noticed though, since those days, <clears throat> if you notice, like you look at the average house from like 1950, mm-hmm. you had one television, one lamp, right. hard line mm-hmm. phone, and you didn't need that many electrical outlets. Now you have, you know, uh, multiple phones uh, with cordless, with right. uh, cell phones that need to be recharged, um, VCRs, <laughs> uh, alarm clocks that, Everything. you know, so, and then everybody yeah. in the house has their own cell phone. They all need to be charged. Um, we, I mean, we all had, used to fight over one phone. Yeah, remember? But right. I and there was busy signals at one point. Remember? Yeah. But, yeah. I, yeah. but I think overall, because I got into an argument one time, when, when I was talking to a friend of mine, and the guy overheard me, he goes, man, you guys aren't saving energy. Look at Times Square. The lights are on all the time. And then I had to give him a history lesson. I said, way back in the old days, all those signs used 1,000-watt light bulbs. Right. <laughs> Do you know the money that was spent to change those light bulbs and the money of electricity, period? And now, look, it's all LEDs. Right. You know, you're saving a lot of money. You know, a lot of people, they don't realize that, you know, the uh, interesting new, new way to think about, you know, energy efficiency. And, you know, there was a study done a while back, you know, from Virginia Polytechnic Institute. And they say it takes between 3,000 gallons and 6,000 gallons of water to power a 60-watt incandescent bulb for 12 hours a day in the course of one year. Need, That's your selling pitch. We need we need to leave it there. All right. For all those out there who are listening, thanks for being with us. LeapEDU.com is the website. If you need to send an email and, and to follow up, you can always send it to us, and we'll be glad to forward it. Thank you for listening. Stay green. Be well. We'll see you in a week. Thanks for listening.